Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dave from Opposing the Matrix. Hey, um, tonight I'm going to be doing another solo show. Looks like Brian is finishing up his uh, moving. Um, he moved um, somewhere close to where he lived before, but uh, found out that it was easier. Well, not easier, but um, your stuff didn't get destroyed when you uh, move it yourself. So uh, he had a couple of guys helping him that uh, they didn't like the price that they had negotiated, I guess. I don't know. That's what I'm getting out of it. And um, and they destroyed some of his property. So uh, anyway, pardon me while I turn this email off, because if I don't do that, then it's going to keep coming through like it just did. Um, anyway... So he'll be with us next week, and hopefully next week we can have a guest host. I'm going to call a few people and see. Um, I've got a few ideas, Gordy Tong, Ralph Epperson, uh, whatnot. So anyway, what I'd like to do uh, tonight is to talk about alien abduction. Uh, Is it physical? Is it spiritual? Is it um, mental? Is it just in the mind, in the head? Or is it a combination of one or two or three of those things? Um, We're told in Scripture that we're supposed to guard our minds um, from the wiles of the wicked one. I knew that's two Scriptures put together. but um, And we're also told that if we trust in in, uh, Yahweh, that he'll guard our minds. And he'll renew our minds until the day of Christ Yeshua, or Messiah Yeshua. So, um, that having been said, um, way back in uh, the mid-2000s, um, I had hooked up with a fellow named Joe Jordan. And uh, he had uh, a ministry called, or still does, I guess, called CE4 Research, and um, that ministry, as far as I know, is still uh, located somewhere in um, around uh, Kennedy Space Center down in Florida. And Joe's focus was uh, proving to people that uh, alien abduction was real and that it could be thwarted by mentioning the name of Yeshua or Jesus. And I was like, yeah, I know, I've done this, and it works. So um, he saw that I had written about it online, and um, I read that he had written about it. So... Um, in 2005, Joe invited me to come down to Roswell. Um, I bought the Blaine tickets. I went down there. Uh, Joe provided the accommodations. And uh, they had a um, another fellow down there called Guy Malone who was putting on something called the Ancient of Days. Um, um, I wouldn't want to call it a festival. An Ancient of Days seminar. That's what it is. It was a seminar. And he had all kinds of speakers come in, both secular and um, Christians or Messianic, because Bill Schnobling was there, and he's definitely Messianic and not Christian. Um, although they're the same thing, <laughs> um, we prefer to be called Messianics um, for many reasons that we can go into, and that'll be a whole other show. Anyway, um, so uh, I listened to the speakers. They're really good. Uh, Stan Dale was there, presented a an excellent um, technical view of what UFOs are, uh, how they operate, how the U.S. government has them, has back-engineered the technology, and um, that those big triangles that you see flying in the sky are really human technology or borrowed alien technology. And um, 
It was a really good talk, and he explained about anti-gravity and how it works and and things like that. David Flynn spoke there. I got to meet David Flynn, and we became, um, although uh, very short lifetime friends, um, because David was taken to be with the Lord uh, quite a few years ago now. Um, but uh, while he was alive, we were we were very good friends, and we talked a lot on the phone and through emails and things like that. And uh, David had a thing with numbers, so do I. Um, we were able to look at numbers and kind of figure out uh, the um, the celestial meaning to them. Uh, not meaning anything um, new age or anything like that, but that God does use numbers. That um, the the Bible is based on numbers, and I. I just ordered a book, and I, I wish I had a picture of it to show you. There's a guy back in the 1800s, late 1800s, early 19, I do believe, that um, went into the scriptures and talked all about numbers, about how all the Gospels are divisible by seven. Um, it, it's it's an, a fantastic book. And when I finish reading it, I'm going to present it here online because I think that um, it will just show the majesty and the great planning that Yahweh went through to write the Bible. And how how he uses numbers to authenticate what he went through and to show that it was him that did it and nobody else could have possibly done it. It's, it's truly amazing. Um, you're going to notice that every once in a while on this show I take um, I have to take a breath or two. And I will never get used to how this is backwards. Anyway, um, and if you're listening online, I just had to um, straighten my glasses out, but the camera kind of puts things back. Um, backwards or <laughs> I always say bass backwards um, so I had to straighten that out but anyway um, so I've had a fascination with numbers and um, that's been pretty neat and anyway so getting back to the ancient of days things down at Roswell uh, that particular year um, Dave had decided he came down with his brother Mark and a, and a troop of other guys from um I think some people were from the southwest, but some of them were from uh, up where Dave and Mark came from, which was the Montana-Idaho area. And um, they brought everything with them you could possibly think of, electromagnetic readers, um, uh, the satellite um, uh, guidance systems, you know, to where we could tell where we were, pinpoint down to the, I think, the equipment that Dave, or excuse me, Mark Flynn had was, um, I think we could pinpoint things down to the square inch that you were in. I'm just exaggerating, of course, but it looked pretty technical. Anyway, um, we we um, left the hotel early one morning, and we went out, and we um, we got out to a certain point in the desert, and Dave signaled that they were going to turn, you know, right, and we turned right, and Oh, we went down all kinds of country roads, and Dave and Mark had rented a uh, um, a less than adequate um, little Hyundai, I think it was, or something of like manner. It was a little car, and those um, desert roads aren't really made for those cars. I mean, um, I wouldn't go down with anything short of uh, an SUV or a four by four pickup. But anyway, we got to a point where the road got so rough that you know Dave was afraid of bottoming out, and maybe. He Bust the new oil pan or whatever, and um, so we all hired, we all piled into a um, a big Ford SUV that I had rented, and we went the rest of the way that way. Well, if if we would have known the roads a little better, we could have gone to a place where we could have walked, um, you know, 15 minutes and been where we wanted to go. But we we parked on this other side of this rise, and so we had to uh, jump over a fence. 
and uh, walk through a little bit of a wash. Um, actually, it was quite a large wash. Um, and then climb this rise and then um, follow this rise for quite a while until we got to another area where we went up a little more and then came down to this one area and Dave said, this is it. And he got the measurements that he got, um, or the coordinates, I should say, um, by using sacred geometry, um, using kind of the enemy's tools against them. The enemy likes to use numbers like 33, 33.3, um, 19.47, um, 1.947, things like that, um, to, to, to um, accomplish their deeds. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, I was told years ago, and I, and I will believe it to my dying day, that NASA does not launch a rocket unless the planet Sirius is 1.947 degrees above the horizon. Or it might be 19.4, I can't remember, but those numbers figure in, and that's why NASA has launch windows, okay? Um, yeah, I, was, I never wondered, I always wondered why... Um, NASA couldn't just launch anything anytime they wanted to. Well, <laughs> if Sirius isn't sitting above the horizon that many degrees, then they have to wait. And, it all, and it's all an occult thing, folks. It's um, you think NASA is a scientific organization? No, they're they're out to find new life out in the universe. For years, they they said that they weren't, that they just wanted to explore space. But they wanted they've they've turned around now and actually admitted that they want to find um, life on other planets and intelligent life and even life that's uh, more intelligent than we are. And But I'll tell you, you look at politics these days and uh, we're not that intelligent, are we? Um, so anyway, uh, we got to that spot and we had a communion service and the Lord had me per, um, prepare a prayer for that day. Um, that was one of our purposes for going out there aside from looking for artifacts, which we found none, by the way. Um, had the crash happened there, they cleaned it up very, very good. Um, so we had the prayer, and um, in the prayer, the Lord had um, written to me kind of a prophecy that uh, the businesses businesses in Roswell were going to dry up within the next two years. I do believe it said that. I can't remember. And I never kept a draft of the, um, of the letter. Um, however, it's on a video. Um, and I can explain later how to get there. But um, anyway, I um, I prayed that prayer, and, and it was either the next year or the year after that um, the uh, the events that were going on in Roswell had a very poor attendance, and a lot of the stores went broke, and some of them closed down. Unfortunately, one of those was Jim Wilhelmson's um, museum that he had there. And uh, but it was it was time for it to happen anyway because he was calling Jim to go back to. Uh, Michigan to attend to family needs, uh, which were much needed, and his prayers are still needed too for that. Uh, your prayers, by the way. Um, anyway, so uh, we we finished that and talk about a bad time. I it was right about then that um, I decided to chuck a kidney stone, and um, boy was that painful. And it was the rest of that weekend. Um, and I'm talking, I had some pretty good pain pills for my back, and it didn't touch it. Um, anyway, so we, we packed up our things um, after the um, three or four days that we were there, and we all went our separate ways. And I think that was the summer that uh, we drove Bill Schnobelin back to the airport and had a very interesting conversation with him for three hours all the way back to the airport. Uh, one of the things that you'll notice when you get together with people like Bill and others that 
Um, there's never uh, a dull moment. Everybody's always talking and everybody's um, sharing things with one another. Excuse me, I'm going to move this thing up a little bit so um, I don't turn back and turn into the hunchback of uh, Oregon. Um, so anyway, we, we left and departed, and and it was funny because when I got home, I decided to go out on my back porch. I lived in a second-floor apartment, and I just went out to get a breath of fresh air. And when I went out there, I looked to my left, and there was a little UFO that was hanging over a house, um, probably about two or three blocks up. It looked like a box that was sent on one of its corners, and it was turning. And I went to get my camera, and when I came out, it was gone. Isn't that what always happens, right? So... Anyway, I went down there 2005, 2006. I went back down there. 2007 was kind of a weird year because I knew that some stuff was going on with alien resistance, and I uh, not some good, some not such good stuff. And some of it I exposed on my website, and it's still on there somewhere on the delusion resistance. Um, and I asked uh, Joe why he didn't want to, um, you know. Talk to the talk to Guy Malone about this, and he says, "Well, you know, the Lord's working on him." And boy, if I had a dime for every time I heard that, and we're gonna let the Lord bring him to correction. Well, didn't happen. Anyway, as far as I know, let me put it that way. Um, so, I, I decided, you know, I was starting to get this inkling that maybe everything's not so right with Mr. Jordan and. Um, and, and I was developing a friendship with uh, with uh, Jim Wilhelmson anyway, and um, there was a rift between Wilhelmson and um, and uh, Guy Malone that was clearly Malone inspired. Um, anyway, I don't want to get into too much of that because it's it's really immaterial, and, and I don't want to turn it into gossip. Okay, so anyway, um, so what happened was uh, they saw me kind of cleaving on to uh, Jim Wilhelmson, and uh, they saw me as an enemy, or, or much more than I was before, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to say. The, the bond between Malone and uh, Jordan is very, very tight. Uh, in one instance, I he told me about some of the things that were going on that he knew about, and I said, well, why don't you do something about it? And he said, well, he says, you know, I'm just going to let it go. He said, I could shut down alien resistance tomorrow but I'm just going to let it go. And I, something in me went, this isn't right. You know, this, this, this isn't right. So anyway, um, and that was between them. You know, if, if he didn't want to do anything about it, I wasn't going to do anything about it. And I've kept quiet about it for many years. Um, so everybody, like I said, everybody packed up. And um, so in 2007, uh, toward the end of 2007, Joe told me, he says, you know, he says, I'm going to put together something next year, and I want you to speak with me there. He says, we're going to call it, um, well, he had it called the missing piece of the puzzle, but um, actually it was called Unholy Communion, the Alien Abduction Phenomena. Where, um, basically, we were putting the aliens on trial. So we, we came up with this plan to actually... Um, bringing witnesses, and those witnesses, of course, couldn't come in because some of them were dead. But we took the words that they had written, and we uh, we used them. And um, was surprised to find out that people like Jacques Vallée, I'm looking at my books over here, uh, Jalen Hynek, and some others had actually 
um, use the terminology interdimensional or um, uh, Jacques Vallee and used that uh, the um, the alien abduction phenomenon seems to take on a demonic um, aspect to it, and for a scientist to use the word demonic is uh, quite interesting. So anyway, we spoke on that um, that July at the military academy down in Roswell. Um, the, the auditorium wasn't that full, um, and I was real nervous. I've you know I've never been good at speaking in large crowds. Um, I never joined a debate club or anything like that. I just don't like it. I'm going to take these things off for a little while until I have to read. Anyway, um, so it was our turn to speak, and uh, we basically put the aliens on trial. And uh, it, I thought it was a pretty good talk. Uh, Joe and I went back and forth quoting these different uh, authors. And um, so at, after our talk, our talk was on the last day. Um, so in that afternoon, we had a roundtable discussion. And I love it when they call that, especially when you're sitting in a line on stage and there's no table. How can you have a roundtable discussion with the audience? Um, so a lot of people showed up for that. And there was a little guy there, a little Jewish guy. And I can say that because I'm a big Jewish guy. Um, and he, um, his name is Peter Robbins. And he, he wanted to make a spectacle of us. He really did. And um, Peter, if you're out there, it didn't work. And if it, what you did only strengthened my conviction. So thank you. Um, so Peter asked a couple of questions, and the main one that I, I remember is Peter said, well, you put these things on trial, these these uh, creatures on trial, um, and I don't think it's fair, I believe he said in that in that statement. He says, but, um, you know, why, why would you do that? And I said, well, Peter, I said, you know, for 50 years, I've, UFO magazines, books, and everything else have been written uh, showing that, you know, at first they were saying these beings were saying they were from other worlds that in our solar system, we found out that was a lie, and then they started saying that they were from, um, you know, the Pleiades and Orion and stuff like that, and and uh, you know when when people start out with a lie, you got them wondering wonder if uh, everything that comes out of their mouth is a lie, and boy is that the truth. Um, but anyway, I. Um, I said, so for, so for 50 years, we've we've had the the story from you scientists and you UFO enthusiasts that these things are from other worlds, that they're coming here to save the earth, and and all this stuff. And um, but we have another theory, and our theory has never been allowed to be um, told. So that's why we did what we did today. And I says, and in any um, anything on Earth. Um, when you're trying to present something, you got to present 100% of the evidence. If you present just one side, it's a jaded, um, it's a jaded subject. You know, it's people aren't going to get all the information. I said, but after we 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 done today, everybody's got the information, and um, now the whole truth is out there, and people are free to decide for themselves. And he took a minute, like he was his gears, kind of reminded me of Robbie the robot in um, Have you ever seen Forbidden Planet? Where when he's thinking, the gear things are moving up. You could kind of see that happening in Peter Robbins' head, and and he goes, "Well, I guess that's a good explanation." And I'm like, "Wow, that, that went pretty good, pretty easy. Thank you, Lord." And um, so when that ended, um, so did my basically my relationship with Joe Jordan. But before that, 
Joe said, you know, he says, I, I presented this. This was really good. He said, but Dave, you write good. You ought to write a book. Now, he didn't say you ought to write a book for us or for me or anything else. He says, you ought to write a book about it. I said, yeah, it, it is. And seeing that I put the presentation together that we from when we spoke that day, you know, I figured it was my intellectual property. Um, I did all the work. He spoke. I did all the work. And I'll never forget. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I was... Um, Pretty, pretty newly married to um, my first wife, and she was from Mexico, and um, and she was suffering from some illnesses, and which made her tired a lot. And while Joe was speaking, she fell asleep and started snoring right in the front row, <laughs> and I was embarrassed but laughing at the same time. Um, however, um, so I said, "Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea." So I came home and. And decided, yeah, I'm going to write this book. And I decided on the title, Unholy Communion, uh, which was, you know, the head, header title for what we talked about down in Roswell. But I changed the uh, the subtitle to The Alien Abduction Phenomena, Where It Originates and How It Stops. And, um, and Joe said, yeah, you know, I'll get you some of the testimonies. I'll even get them on video for you. And you can uh, just copy down what you need and put them in the book. And I said, okay. So... If you see it online, um, you'll see that he's a contributor. Uh, the uh, publisher was uh, Joe's friend, and the publisher put Joe in as a co-author, which he never was. He was a contributor. But anyway, um, so I wrote the book. I started to write the book, and I don't know if, if you're like me, but the the things that go on in life kind of get in your way, and so you start something, and, and then... Um, all of a sudden, you know, this comes along, that comes along. Pretty soon, the book's like a, a foreign thought to you. You don't even remember it anymore. Well, I thought about it again, um, you know, not long after I was married. And um, I'm like, when, how am I going to get this done? Now that I've got a wife and, you know, I've got, she's not too well. And I've got her to deal with and stuff. And, um, and get, don't get me wrong, I didn't mind doing that. You know, I loved her and I wanted to take care of her. But um, so we had this this little kitten. Um, her name was Kiki, and uh, Kiki used to like to to get in bed with us at night. But Kiki used to jump on the bed, off the bed, on the bed, off the bed, on the bed, off the bed, and it would get annoying. You wake you up several times a night. I'm a light sleeper. So um, I, what Kiki liked to do was fetch. So I wadded up a piece of paper into a ball, and I threw it into the living room from the hallway. And when I turned around to go run into the bedroom, I heard a popping noise, and I fell to the ground. And I swear it sounded like somebody shot me with a twenty-two. It was the weirdest thing. But it was the tendon popping. It was my Achilles tendon. And um, so I managed to crawl into the bedroom, and I looked, and so I wasn't bleeding, so I figured I wasn't shot. And I looked at the front door, and it was closed. Nobody was standing there. Um, so, and it hurt like hell. <laughs> it was bad. Um, so finally, after a while, after laying there for a while with my, uh, it makes your foot go in the weirdest position because it, it's the thing that, um, holds your foot, um, let's see, what does it do? It helps you, your foot to spring up and down. Okay. And when it breaks, your, your foot, automatically wants to goes where go where your toes are down 
all the time, and you can't straighten it out because there's nothing to do that. The tendon's gone, you know. Um, so I um, managed to hobble onto a um, – we had a desk chair. Um, you know, we weren't that old, so we didn't have a wheelchair in the house. And so I got on the desk chair, and my wife pushed me to the front door, and um, – I managed to hobble over to the banister out on the on the stairway outside and down down the stairs. Thank God it was my my left um, uh, Achilles that popped um, because I was able to, to get down the stairs pretty easy actually just by hopping. Uh, hurt like heck, but um, I got down to the bottom and I had my wife get over. Now she didn't have her license and. She knew how to drive from living in Mexico City, but she didn't have her license, so she brought the truck over, and I got in the driver's side, and since it was my right foot, and the truck was an automatic, uh, which I bought because um, not too long before that I had broken my elbow, and, and shifting was a lot of fun. Um, but So we managed to drive over to Kaiser Hospital in Sacramento, and um, yeah, they diagnosed me with that and uh, with the Achilles um, now, I don't know if it was fully popped or if it was just sprained, but, boy, I'll tell you, something I never want to go through again. But so, but the, what I'm telling you this for is that the Lord wanted me to write in Holy Communion. I know he did, and I had put it off. And now I was going to have seven weeks of doing nothing, um, not being able to get around. Um, I, I had a, a wheelchair donated to me a couple of weeks afterwards from Union Gospel Mission, uh, which made it a lot easier to get around the house. But until then, I was in a, a desk chair with the four little wheels on it, pushing myself up and down the hallway on a carpet, which wasn't easy with my good foot. Um, by the way, do you guys like my, my new background? Um, it's not real. I wish I had a library like that. And that couch looks real inviting right now. Um, but it, it's just something I picked up. So um, anyway, getting back to the story. So I realized that I had written I had written a little of chapter one, a little of chapter two, and all the way along. And so what I would do is I'd write a little on one chapter, and then I'd get tired and fall asleep because, you know, I was taking medicine for my foot. I had to. Um, and then, you know, next day I'd get up and I'd go, well, you know, I'd look through the chapters. Oh, here, number two, I, I, I remember some stuff I got to do in chapter two, and I did that. And I did that for about four or five weeks, and the book was done. And I was just, wow, this is amazing. Sorry you had to get my attention the way you did, Lord, but it worked. So I submitted it to um, Tom Horn, who is the um, owner of Defender Publishing, and, you know, you work with some guy that kind of shows you maybe some punctuation errors that you made or or whatever, spelling errors. And, and I found some spelling errors on my own, too. And uh, I got that all taken care of. And then some guy wanted to make the cover, and he made the cover. And so, and I'll show it to you in a little while. But um, so anyway, that, w- that was accomplished. I got it done. And, and um, so I called Joe, and I said, yeah, I got the book done. Tom Horn's got it. And. Um, he goes, oh, you got our book done. And I went, whoa, whoa, back up. I said, I got the book done, not our book done, you know. So he's trying to take credit for being for it being our book instead of his, just mine, you know, or something that the Lord had given me. But um, so I noticed that right there that this was going to be a problem. And 
Um, even before that, I had submitted it to Tom Horn. Joe said he didn't want to have anything to do with it um, because he, he had other things going. He was too busy. So he wanted me to change the contract, which I did, and then he wanted back in. So I had to change the contract back to the way it was before. And um, so it's, it was a rocky road getting the, getting that book done and getting it down to Tom Horn. And Tom published it, and it came out, and um, it sold a few copies. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a good seller, and somebody a lot of people have told me that it was a book that was written before its time, and um, and I'm like, yeah, well, maybe it was, maybe that's the answer. But uh, Tom took it out of publication after probably about nine months after he had first published it, and I couldn't really blame him because he flipped the bill for the whole thing, for goodness sakes, you know. And the agreement was that if the book sold anything, the money went right to him until until the costs were paid off, and then it would start paying me off. Um, so anyway, we took it out of publication, and I said, well, if you're going to do that, can I have the rights to the book, you know? And I bought a few boxes that were sitting on a pallet somewhere in a warehouse, and then I've given more of them away than I've sold. Um, but anyway, getting back to what we're talking about, so I kind of felt kind of uneasy about John. So he was going on radio shows and going all over talking about um, his book, you know. And I'm and I was constantly fighting this, you know. Saying, you know, people were, oh yeah, Joe was right talking about his book. And I go, first of all, it's not his. Uh, I'm the head author, and he's just a contributor. But anyway, um, so you know, the the story keeps moving along, and um. Finally, I um, what I did is when I got the rights, I um, I redid the book a little bit. I I took out some mention of Joe. He's still in there as a contributor. He's I basically give him credit for giving me um, the um, some of the testimonies in the book. Not all of them, but some of them. And uh, and that's that's good. You know, I could have taken him out altogether, but I figured you know he worked doing that, and you know. Uh, workman's worth is higher is what scripture says so um, so Joe and I got to the point where we weren't really talking and um, I was getting nasty letters from him I've got those on record somewhere um, not that I'll ever use them but just to kind of remind me from time to time that what I did was right um, so uh, you know years have gone by and um like I said, I've been given more copies. Well, after anyway, after I um, I redid it, I put it on uh, delusionresistance.org. Um, I actually turned it into a PDF file, and I offer it for free on there. Um, well, the whole time I was writing the book, and the whole time that it was in publication and stuff, I remembered Yeshua's words when he was talking to the disciples. He said, "Freely, freely you have received; freely, freely give." Okay, and I'm thinking, of my, I, whenever I read a chapter out of that book, you know, I, I can talk eloquently if I have to, and I can even write if I eloquently if I write if I really try hard, you know, go through things over and over again. But when that book was written, it was it just flowed, and I knew that it wasn't me that was writing it. So you know, it was almost like, how dare you charge for something that, you know, that was inspired by the by the word by, by the word meaning Yeshua. The word gave me the word, so to speak. And so that's why I offer for free now on DelusionResistance.org, along with, I think, ten other books that I've written. Um, I can't see offering something that's that I see as 
maybe helping to save somebody's life charging for it you know and um, I'm even uncomfortable with um, with the names of the some of the people that uh, are inside the book uh, the first and last names are used one of the things that always bothered me about um, Joe's presentations is that he would parade people up on stage now I mean since the time I wrote the book I've become a um, licensed practical nurse and I'm a psychiatric nurse. I work in a psychiatric hospital. And I know that one thing you, you don't do to, to victims is parade them in front of people. Um, it's just unethical. It really is. And I, I, just perusing through uh, Joe's new book, I noticed that he uses just first names, and as far as I know, and not last names. And uh, even though a person wanted to offer their last name, I would say no. Um, I use your first name and maybe your first initial of your last name, but that's it. But anyway, uh, yeah, you don't take people that have been traumatized and parade them in front of a group of people. It's just unethical. <laughs> um, it's extremely unethical, and that's what was being done all the time. And I understand that you want to show people that other people have had uh, success in using the name of Yeshua to thwart these alien abductions. That's that's cool. But um, I don't know. Unless a person had been free from it for, for many years and then didn't care about um, being, being either having their names put on light or um, paraded in front of a, a stage full of people, you know, it's uh, I don't see if there's ethics in that, that whole thing. But um, okay, so. So we move ahead a few years, and um, and I learn I learned something. Uh, you know, Joe. Usually, people when when people are uh, not forthright and they're they're into shady things, or they could be into shady things, uh, they usually reveal it. Okay, um, in little tidbits. Uh, here's an example. Uh, years ago, um, I was going to a church where the pastor was asking people to. Um, actually take out second mortgages on their houses so that they could donate the money to the building fund. But some of us had found out that he was buying property while he was asking everybody else to sacrifice. And it's funny because a few of us heard it. Not everybody heard this this guy say this, but um, and I think that this was for our benefit. And um, he was trying to save the people of the church the Lord was from, um, you know, for right at that moment for any um, embarrassment or anything else because I'm sure that you know people would have thrown rotten tomatoes at the guy if he would have if they would have heard it but um, he said during the sermon he said it's okay for a man to own two houses and I'm thinking to myself no I didn't hear that you know I just didn't hear that it didn't come out of his mouth well I got together with a few friends afterwards some of us that had you know constantly heard about him saying things like this kind of in a cryptic sort of manner and other people had heard it too and I'm like okay you heard it too so it wasn't my imagination so I feel better um, and then I found out about him buying other houses and then renting out the properties and stuff like that which you know really angered me but uh, what are you going to do uh, so anyway um, what did I bring that up for <laughs> um 
Oh yeah, that's right. Um, Joe and I were talking one day, and he was he Joe really loved his dad, and and you know I I love guys that love their dads because you know no matter how bad your dad was, you're a part of him. You know you have his genes, and so kind of like hating your dad's kind of like hating yourself because you're fifty percent part of your dad, right? Um, and my dad wasn't the best dad in the world either. He was a scoundrel at times, but you know, I, now that he's been gone for what 21 years, 22 years, I missed the heck out of him, you know. Um, but uh, anyway, pardon the uh, though we have a Chewini that feels like she's got to be vocal online sometimes. Um, so uh, we were talking one day, and we were talking about our dads. And Joe, Joe says, well, you know, you're from New Jersey. I lived in New Jersey for a while, too. And I went, well, you did? Where? And he says, well, my dad worked at Fort Monmouth, and, uh, so, which means he lived in that area. And that was kind of north of, south of where I came from, but north of where I was living when before I left for, for California. And, um, and so he says, yeah, my dad worked at Fort Monmouth. So I didn't think anything about that. But then when uh, Joe changed his mind, because in the book he um, he clearly agrees that the alien abduction phenomena, I mean in my book, or the book that the Lord had me write, let's put it in a correct perspective, um, he clearly agrees that the alien abduction phenomena is physical and spiritual, okay? Um, he does have a case where it was completely, excuse me, spiritual and um and i and i do believe that that happens sometimes okay who am i to, who am i to say what every abduction experience is but um but when i hear about people watching people being floated out of buildings into ufos and uh, the brooklyn bridge incident and um and other stories i've heard from people where you know, um, oh, well, you know, the, my cloak, my pajamas were all wet. The bottoms of my pajamas from walking, it must have been from walking outside in the, in the grass that was full of dew. So so what did uh, the aliens uh, take your clothes off while you were in a trance and laying in bed and then go put the, your pants out to get wet in the grass and then bring them in as proof that it, they took you somewhere when they really didn't? You know, it's it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I, anyway. Let's just leave it at that. So, anyway, um, so he started to change his mind, which in a way for me was good because it meant that he was invalidating his part of the book, okay, the Unholy Communion book. And um, so, um, and then he started telling people that, you know, what they were going through was not real, that it was a psychic event or it was a uh, an event where, um, you know, some spirit spirit entity had entered into the room and put him in a trance, and they were going through it that way. And I'm like, Joe, you know, don't you realize that you you wrote in Unholy Communion that not not wrote but affirmed that this stuff is even by the testimonies that he gave me to use. That these things that these things are really coming in and whisking people away in the middle of the night and doing experiments on them, and I said, you know, you can't have it both ways, and but evidently Joe thinks he can have it both ways. I don't know, um, but by him saying that, he just totally took himself out of the book, and so I was fine with that. Um, 
but what I'm not fine with is telling people that they didn't really go through an experience when they did. Okay. Um, as I told you earlier, I'm, I'm a psych nurse, so I work with patients that are delusional. And there's a big difference between a delusion and something that actually happens. Okay. Um, it's, it's pretty clear to see, actually, when, when you watch a delusional person um, manifest. Um, and um, I'm trying to think of the word. In other words, um, listen to the voices that are speaking in their heads or or seeing or hear, having auditory uh, um, um, or visual delusions or illusions and and them actually going through something. Um, and I've stated on this program many times that I think in in the um, when it comes to schizophrenia that it's possible that some of it's um, organic and it's possible that some of it might be um, brought about by um, aluminum and the mercury accumulating in the brain, turning your brain into an antenna. What better way to communicate and make somebody feel like they're crazy for them to hear voices in their head because their brain is an antenna, right? Um, anyway, moving right along. So, uh, it was kind of quiet for a few years. I mean, we uh, Jim and I underwent um, kind of an attack by uh, Mr. Malone and his, um, I guess they got married, but for a while they had an Adam and Eve marriage where, you know, there was no one there to marry them, so they considered themselves married. And a lot of couples do that nowadays. It's called shacking up. But um, anyway, uh, bowing to pressure and him admitting it. So um, he, he and uh, his wife um, decided to, uh, get married a traditional way uh, through a pastor and a church and stuff like that. And, um, and and if you're married that way in a common law marriage, I'm not trying to knock you for that, okay? It's just that when a minister or somebody does that, it's it's a whole different story because they're they're purporting to be one way and and uh, acting in a different manner. So anyway. Um, so we went through a lot of, Jim and I went through a lot of persecution through this gal um, who later claimed to be um, suffering from Asperger's syndrome. And uh, then as far as we can tell, it's disappeared from the face of the earth because um, there's been nothing new on her website for a long time, you know, in any manner, let alone um, downcasting us. So I don't know where she is or where she exists or whatever. Um, but uh, so we went through a period of that. And then um, I read the other day when I'm looking. I'm, I, I like to read. I'm a prolific reader when I'm given a chance. And and I was looking at books. And I was looking at my book and noticed that there was another book by Joe Jordan. Okay. So, oh, let's get back real quick to the Mammoth, uh, Fort Mammoth thing in New Jersey. That's right. I almost forgot that. So he told me that his dad worked at Fort Monmouth. And if you want to look it up, it's Fort and then M-O-N-M-O-U-T-H, Monmouth. And um, it's been around since Revolutionary Days. Well, it was until it was closed down um, earlier in the century. Um, but part of their mission at Fort Monmouth is called the Signal Corps. And the Signal Corps, now I don't know what Joe's father did when he worked at Fort Monmouth. Okay, but a big thing there was a signal corps, and it was a big 
um, facility that um, both housed and taught information and disinformation. And if you look up Signal Core, hold on a second. I don't know if I kept that on here. Uh, okay, yes, I did. All right. It says, um, it says the signal, and this is from careers at the U.S. Army uh, website. The Signal Corps has evolved since its inception in 1860 as a communication technology has involved personnel in the Signal Corps support and command um, and control of, arm, of uh, combined arms forces in every imaginable method of communication. Um, Signal Corps support includes network operations, uh, and they have it in brackets, information assurance, information dissemination, management and network management, and management of the electromagnetic spectrum. Um, signals also involve uh, designing and, and installing data, satellite communication networks, microwave switching, and messaging, video teleconferencing, and the whole gamut of anything. If it's information that's shared from the Army in any way or between the Army or between the Army and the Navy, Army and the Air Force, Army and the Marines, um, it's taught and um, and also facilitated or was at Fort Monmouth. Now, you'll notice that part of it was, um, uh, let's see, where was it? Information dissemination, in other words, taking information and passing it out to people. And in, uh, in layman's terms, that could be considered propaganda. Okay. Um, it also could be, you know, sending emails for that matter. Um, you know, so any kind of information, the way it's disseminated, uh, passed out, uh, maybe gone, put into code and passed on that way or whatever, uh, they're into or were into over there. Now, again, I, I don't know what Joe's father was into there, but that's a big part of or was a big part of Fort Monmouth. And now when you think about disseminating good information, bad information can be disseminated too, right? There's information and there's disinformation. And that's what the government was involved in for many years when it came to the UFO phenomena was dis disinformation. Uh, they would take people that were truck drivers or people that were farm workers and say, oh, these people are, you know, they're, they're just simple people. They, they can't possibly know what they're talking about. Maybe they were out drinking the night before and they had a hallucination or they're doing drugs or, um, you know, the farmer is, you know, just trying to make up a story so his land is more valuable and somebody will come and buy it for a bigger price, whatever, you know. Um, however, when pilots started reporting stuff and it was scientists and astronauts and stuff like that, these the government got interested in it. So they were involved in information, but disinformation when it came to the general public. And so... Here's where I'm going with this, okay? Um, my dad was a plumber. Um, I had, I've had, i had friends that um, their fathers were electricians. They became electricians. I became a, a pipe fitter, which is kind of a glorified plumber. Um, and if you're a plumber, I'm not making light of what you do. You're very important, and I pay you lots of money to come out to my house to clean my drains out from time to time. 
and I really respect you guys, and we really hit it off and have great conversations. So I'm not trying to make light that plumbers are any less valuable than pipe fitters, but, you know, pipe fitters work um, refineries and shutdowns and stuff like that. We build the bigger stuff, and um, where plumbers build the houses and, um, you know, enter into apartment buildings and, um and into even skyscrapers, putting in uh, plumbing and skyscrapers and stuff like that. It's a, it's a pretty noble, when you think about it, noble profession, as is, is, is uh, pipe fitting. Um, you know, and a lot of times sons go into the same things that their fathers were into, or they pick up things from their fathers that they bring into life later on. Now, how do I say this without getting in trouble? Okay. Um if your father is working at a fort, an army fort, where they might be sending out disinformation about UFOs or maybe about anything else, and he is able to teach his son about passing information and or disinformation, um, that might be that might kind of fit into the scenario here because here you got a guy that was into proving that UFOs were physical, that alien abduction was physical, and that, um, you know, just like I believe, and many others do, the majority of UFO um, people, people believe in that UFOs exist, believe that it's a physical event. Um, matter of fact, more do than believe that's spiritual. I believe it's both. But... Um, so just as my father taught me how to solder and weld and everything else, and an electrician's father might teach his son how to build circuit boards. Well, that'd be more electronics, but, you know, how to wire a house and stuff like that. And a, and a carpenter might teach his son how to work wood, uh, angles, um, stuff like that. Uh, so a person that's involved in... Um, information and disinformation might be able to teach his son a little bit about both of them. And the reason I bring that up is because you got a guy that believes that this stuff is real, and then all of a sudden, and I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden something clicked, and he, he made a 180-degree turn. Um, now these things, it's just, it's just um, spiritual and or psychic in nature because we're talking about the mind. So um, so it's a, like a psychosis that happens, according to Joe. And I'll tell you what, if you take somebody that's been abducted and you tell them they're having a psychosis, I don't know what I'd do, but I'd go off, I'd go off on them, <laughs> um, telling them that it's not real. Because when you have scoop marks in your body or you have um, uh, your body has something in it that's putting out radio signals or... Um, you've got vivid memories of being on a UFO or you've woken up in the morning out in the grass when you were asleep in your bed at night or your clothes are wet because you were walking in the rain and he dropped you off in the rain and you came back into your house or something like that, um, then, you know, I've got a big problem with you saying that everything's just psychic or spiritual in nature. Now, let me go where, where Joe gets this from, and maybe this is the crux, the foundation that that he gets this from, because he, he used to tell a story about a guy, and he used to tell the story a lot, which makes me think that maybe he was leaning towards the the psychic or the, uh, or the um, um, 
uh, I'm not trying to say the psychic or the spiritual aspect of this thing all along, but just decided to hold off for a while and spread this information later. Um, but he um, he often told the story about this guy he was on the phone with one day. The guy was calling him every once in a while because he was, as they they term the use experiencer, and the guy said he could feel it when they were coming. So. Um, he's on the phone one day, according to Joe. Now, I, I could get this story mixed up, so please, you know, uh, if I do, I apologize. But um, I think I have it mostly down pat. Um, so the guy's on the phone with Joe, and he's driving in his car, and he's with his girlfriend, or he's in his car with his girlfriend. I don't know if they were driving. And he says, he says, uh-oh, they're coming. And Joe goes, what do you mean they're coming? And he says, they're coming to get me now. He said, so he told the guy, he says, hand your girlfriend the phone. Or is it, am I doing wife? I can't remember. So he did. And um, all of a sudden, I guess he, he passed out. He never went anywhere. He stayed in the car. And he asked the, the girlfriend or wife, you know, what is he going through? Well, he's breathing is kind of labored. Um, he's breathing fast. His heart rate's up, stuff like that. And um, I don't know, maybe the woman was a nurse or something. That would have been really good to have with him at, at this time but anyway um so the, the guy was out for quite a while and then he came back and he got the phone back from his girlfriend and he t- and said um he told joe he says he says well i'm back he says and, and they're pissed at you and he says well they're pissed at me what do you mean they're pissed at me he says they're pissed at you because you know they know that you know what's going on and okay so that's all I can remember that story. Okay, so this this is the the foundation, the crux on on upon which Joe, I think, builds his um, his story at that this is a, a psychic thing and everything else, um, rather than a physical abduction, which which it wasn't. This one that he describes was not. So they, you know, he passed out, and the guy went on a, a spiritual journey with these things and. Um, but there's far too many evidences and um, and things that these things really do happen uh, physically. So anyway, I just asked Travis Walton if he thinks he had a psychic connection, um, you know, disappearing for four days <laughs> uh, and then coming back, you know, okay, were you having a, a four-day manic uh, depression or something like that or a manic episode that where you didn't know where you were? And that's not, that doesn't happen. Manic people know where they are. They know what's happening. Um, depressed people know that they're depressed. They know what's going on. There are people that are schizophrenic. Um, they know that after, I mean, after they, they come out of that state, uh, whether through medication or if it just kind of clears up, which very rarely happens on its own. Usually it's medication that takes care of it. They'll, they'll know that they're psychotic, and, and they'll know because they keep hearing voices in their head, okay? And I'll tell you, I've got a new respect for earphones. Um, I uh, When I was going through nursing school, um, the nurse that was teaching us, because I think she wanted a lot of us to go to work at the state hospital, and I'm glad she did because I've, I've had a pretty good time working there. I mean, the benefits are good. The pay is okay, you know. Stuff like that. I don't watch, enjoy watching people suffer um, traumatic events and stuff like that, or memories of traumatic events. But um, 
you do learn a lot about the human mind and about how people operate. Um, you learn about how they connive, how they um, they're able to to believe their own lies. Even it's it's amazing. Um, doctors, you know, that are regular doctors can, you know, if a person comes in with an infection, you give them an antibiotic, they get better. Uh, if they come in with uh, just about anything, there's a medication for it. And most time, unless it's a severe cancer or some malignancy, um, they they end up getting better, and and that's that. But a person that's mentally ill, they still haven't found ways to make them cured. They can they can control the symptoms in many cases. And and, and let me appeal to you if if you are mentally ill and you're taking medications, please do not get off your medications because every time that you get back on, it's harder and harder and harder. And and I understand that, you know, like with the antibiotics, when you get rid of a bacterial infection, you're better, you're healed. Well, a lot of people that are on uh, psychiatric medications, they, they start feeling better and they think they're healed, but then they regress afterwards and they become twice as bad as they were before. And it's harder and harder and harder each time they do that to get them back into a normal state or semi-normal state. Well, anyway, um, so um, now I forgot where I was going with this, but um, I think that was important for people to hear. Um, so... Uh, while this alien abduction thing may may sometimes take on a um, a psychiatric sort of flare, a psychic flare, um, a spiritual flare, have you, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's all that it is. Okay. Um, so okay, so we've looked at uh, Fort Mammoth and pretty well explored that. Um, I, for one, am glad they closed that place down if they did the things that they did there. Um, I, did you know that Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, I think Julius Rosenberg, worked in Fort Mammoth? Uh, he was the one that passed on nuclear secrets to the Soviets where they first attained the atomic bomb. Um, and most of the people that either had the last name of Rosenberg, and I think her maiden name was uh, Kaplan, uh, anybody that had the, that last name lost their jobs after they were found guilty. And I can understand that. Um, I don't think it's right, but I can understand that. Um, so anyway, uh, what I wanted to do is um, there's a, a page here that I wanted to share with you, and I hope I kept it. I go vault. If I if I got rid of this page, I'm not going to be very happy with myself. Um, there is a oh there it is I got it. Now there's a page um, and it's called IC Watch, okay. And I don't know how I found it. It's a WikiLeaks thing, okay. ICWatch.wikileaks.org and that's all I'm giving you on that, okay. You can find the rest on your own. Um, reason being that there's some people that are listed on here that I'm not too sure about that I'd want to tick them off, okay? As a matter of fact, the one I'm going to read, I'm not going to give you his name or the dates that he worked there, okay? <laughs> but this is the kind of person that worked at Fort Monmouth, okay? Um, he, he lists as his... Um, what he did at Fort Monmouth, a highly qualified intelligence professional driven to maximize operational efficiency, extensive experience in security administration, 
offensive intelligence operations, report writing, project management, and budgeting experience. The part that bothers me about that is intelligence operations. means this guy has been overseas or in this country conducting intelligence operations on Americans or people around the world, and or he's a mis- uh, acted possibly as a um, mercenary. Okay. Um, it says under spe- uh, security specialists, and this is a specifically at Fort Mammoth, um, established, administered, and monitored security procedures for the Army co- Contracting Center. So this guy, I, I picture this guy being about six foot two with arms like tree trunks and, you know, tattoos on his arms and, and uh, somebody that can snap me in half without even thinking about it. So that's why I'm not putting his name on there. But there's a bunch of people here that, that are on this site that worked at Fort Monmouth that, that are um, into not-so-kosher things, let's just put it that way. Um, and the whole thing has, or a lot of it had to do with uh, uh, disinformation. Um and uh, and tactics. It's, it was a, a heavy into tactical center here. Um, in in um, in war, there's there's tactical, and tactical is uh, basically a strike force. There's defensive. Um, there's strategic. Strategic is you could compare strategic and tactical by saying tactical is the the um, the, the jet fighters that that go in and um, and basically destroy the um, the radar so that the strategic bombers could fly over and bomb the heck out of their targets. Okay, you got tactics and strategics. Okay, and then you have your your uh, your grunts that are on the ground, you know, fighting that way and um, and other aspects of of war. Um, but this this page has three pages of basically these are um, <laughs> resumes of people that have worked at Fort Monmouth and what they've done. And um, I don't know. I uh, I am very um, bothered by some of the things. Uh, some of them reported directly to the Defense Intelligence Agency. Others. Um, uh, reported directly to other DOD offices, uh, Department of Defense, that is, um, and things like that. There's people that were specialists in polygraph testing. Um, I I don't know what happened inside the buildings in the walls of Fort Monmouth, but I'm I'm assuming that it wasn't good stuff. So anyway... um, Getting back to what we were talking about, we got a, um, a guy that worked there. Now, I don't know. He could have been a, um, a lowly sergeant. But Joe, from what I understand, Joe said he was an officer. Um, that that could be a memory that I'm getting wrong. So I don't want to go out there and say, oh, yeah, Joe's father was an officer. I don't know. Um, but he did work out there. And I, if he did and he was involved in intelligence and counterintelligence or or propaganda and stuff like that, then um, he might have passed some of that on. And seeing that a guy could believe that the UFO thing is real and then all of a sudden change 180 degrees to say that it's not real, that it's psychic, and um, 
and parading people still up in front of other people and telling them that now that, <clears throat> you know, when I'm at work, you know, I, I, I'm, I've got the office of a prophet. Okay, that's what God's given me. I, I'm thankful for it, but at the same time, I'm not too happy about it because there's, sometimes i got to tell people things that I don't want to tell them. Um, here's another guy, counterintelligence agent. Okay, worked at Fort Mama, counterintelligence. Um, anyway, so I know that some of the – I've run into patients at the, at the hospital that, you know, have had a psychiatric or a breakdown for whatever reason, you know, but there, there are brothers and sisters in the Lord. There's, there's a bunch of people there that aren't, that aren't, trust me. And I can discern pretty well who is and who isn't. I've been fooled a couple times, but not too much. Um, but, um, that's interesting. Um, anyway, um, so, you know, when I'm, I'm talking to people that I know are my brothers and sisters, I do not, really share anything of a spiritual nature because if you start sharing things of a spiritual nature and people take notice first of all I'll probably get fired um, second of all uh, it gives it, it would give the psychiatrists and maybe the psychologists there ammunition against me um, and if anything ever happened in the future it could be held against me you know um, yeah, well, you know, this guy once said that he heard the Lord talk to him. Well, he must be psychotic, you know. So they don't understand what hearing the Lord talk to you is. When they hear that somebody is talk, being talked to by somebody, they're also automatically equated with demons. Well, not with demons, but with, because uh, they can't, they can't acknowledge demons, but, um, with hearing voices from entities that are, or, um, wherever they come from according to what they believe um, telling a person to do something bad okay so they, they just lump it into one big uh, pile so to speak so um, where am I going with this I would not ever 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 parade people up on a stage and say these people used to see used to be abducted okay now, if they want to do that on their own, that's that's up to them, you know. Now, when it happened, when I was hanging out with Joe, I had no say in the matter whatsoever. But I would pray the whole time. I was like, geez, Lord, please, just don't let this affect them in a negative way, you know. Don't let this word get out. You know, you got some guy that's that supposedly worked for NASA that's up there um, telling a story about being abducted, you know. How long is his, what's his life expectancy going to be at NASA? You know, oh, the guy's a crank. He uh, he hears voices, you know, or something like that. Or, you know, see, you have to be really careful what you say around the worldly people or the people of the earth. Because, um, yeah, and he's pretty, you're probably going, well, people of the earth, where are you from? Well, my kingdom is of, not of this world. It's the Lord, the kingdom of uh, the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, you know. Um, when I got saved, he turned me into a new creature. He turned me into one of his hybrids, okay? Um, and there's scripture to back that up, a lot of scripture. So, um, anyway, if we look at scripture, 
since we're, we're talking about scripture, um, we see some interesting things happen. Okay. Um, we see Yeshua or Jesus being encountered by the devil after he's been out in the, in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. Uh, something that would kill you or me. So that right there should, should prove that he was divine. If you don't, if you don't believe in his divinity. Um, but, um, the word that's used for, uh, well, anyway, I got to read the scripture. I guess that would be a good thing to do, right? And, uh, Matthew chapter four, verse eight said again, the devil taketh him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, which means that he was showing them future kingdoms too. Okay. Interesting. So the devil does have access to time, time and space manipulation um, in that he can visit the past, present, and future. Um, so when you think that he uh, he's stuck in just this dimension, that might not be true. Um, so in the, in the Greek, you know, his name is Diabolos. And the word for taketh is uh, paralambano. Um, which, and I'm going to click on it because I want to tell you what it means because a lot of people are saying that Jesus was abducted. This means Jesus was abducted. No, he wasn't. You don't abduct the creator of the universe, the son of God. It means to take to, to take with oneself, to join to oneself. It would be like me coming up to you and saying, hey, let's go get a burger at name the burger of your choice that you like and you saying okay i'll go you know now the i you know you're going well jesus decided to go with the devil somewhere well you got to remember that jesus is very familiar with this character um probably by the legions that kicked him out of heaven um but he knows he's powerful over him and that nothing's going to happen to him so yeah he's like and it gave him a chance to rebuke the devil. So anyway, it just meant that he was taken not against his will, but he was like, here, let me come with me. I want to show you something kind of thing, you know. And um, so, no, Jesus was not abducted. Yeshua was not abducted by the devil. OK. All right. Then we um, we get into um, you want to talk about supernatural events. Um Peter, let me make sure it was Peter. Yeah, Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church and to God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, in other words, it was probably early in the morning, um, before he was going to be brought before Herod, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. The soldiers were not sleeping, by the way. The penalty for death for soldiers sleeping was, or the penalty for soldiers sleeping was death. Okay. So soldiers did not sleep back then. Okay. Um, so he was bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So he had two people next, one on each side of him, and then some people at the door. Okay. And behold, an angel of the Lord came unto him. And the light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side. In other words, he hit him on the side with a stick, um, or a staff, probably, kind of like a shepherd's staff, 
and raised them up, saying, Arise, up, quickly, and his chains fell off from around his hands. So it looks like you're manipulating matter a little bit to me if the chains fall off your hands like that, okay, or the shackles. Okay, and the angel said to him, Gird thyself and bind thy sandals. In other words, um, put on your clothes and on your shoes. And he did so, and he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but though he saw a vision. So he didn't know if it was actually happening or if he was seeing a vision. Okay, this is kind of like a Joe Jordan thing, you know. Um, Peter's wondering, you know, is, is this really happening or is it a psychic event or something like that? When they were past the first and second ward, and they walked by soldiers unnoticed. Get that, okay? So the soldiers are either blinded or they were not able to see them. I think the second part is true. Um, and that would also lend to the theory that, you know, these things can walk through walls and bring people through walls, okay? Uh, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth into the city, and, and it opened for them of his own accord, and they went out and passed on through the streets, and forthwith the angels departed from him. So Peter was sprung from jail. Um, the gates opened for him in the jail. He walked past all the jailers. Nobody saw him. He went out to the front gate. The front gate opened up for him, and he walked away. And when Peter was coming to himself, he said, Now I know for surety that the Lord has sent his angels, and they have delivered me out of the hands of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And that should be Jewish leaders, not all the Jews were bad, okay? And um, one more verse. And when he had considered this thing, he was come to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark, um, when many were gathered there together, they're praying. <laughs> Imagine them walking through the door and going, hey, surprise, uh, you know, I thank you for your prayers, but I'm here now and everything's cool. Okay, so you got shackles falling off mysteriously. So the only way for that to happen is for the, them to become a different state of matter. You know, they didn't just fall off his hands, they fell off. And um, you got a gate opening by itself. Peter walking past all these soldiers. And don't forget, there was two soldiers in the in the um, next one, one on each side. Okay. Now there's some suggestion that maybe you know they were put into a trance or something, and that's quite possible. But the thing is that um, you know, the soldiers that he walked by throughout the whole prison to get out of there. And, and working in a psych hospital, I know what that's like because, you know, you just don't get out. With us, we have to badge out. We have cameras all over the place watching everything, you know. So it would be quite a chore of just walking out of there, okay? Matter of fact, in my case, it would be impossible unless I jumped the, the wall, um, which is a whole other story. But anyway... Um, okay, so let's go to another instance here. This is in Acts chapter 5. Okay. Um, let's see. We'll start with uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and when they were all with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, they were filled with indignation 
And they laid their hands on the apostles, and they put them in a common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened up the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak to the temple of the people all the words of this life. In other words, all the words of the gospel. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning. Now, these guys were just sprung from prison because they'd been preaching at the temple. So they get sprung from prison by an angel who, again, they have to walk by all the guards and everything. And they walk right back up to the temple and start teaching again. Boy, does that take some cojones, huh? Um, pardon my French. But, but the high priest came, and um, they that were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent uh, and sent to the prison to have them brought. So the, the, the high priests think they're still in prison. Well, that was weird. Okay. Um, my, my pop filter just decided to do its own thing. Um, okay, but when the officers came, they found them not in the prison, and they returned and told. Okay saying uh, the prison truly found the prison truly found we shut with all the safety and the keeper standing without without before the doors and when we had them open we found no man within now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things they doubted them whereunto this would grow then uh, came one and told them, saying, Behold, these men who you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Man, I love this story. Uh, then they went to the, or this event, it's not just a story. Then they went to the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. The people were starting to really listen to the message, and they weren't going to let the guards take him. So I'm imagining the guards came up and went, um, you know, the chief priest would really like to talk to you, so please, can you just come with us, and and let's not start anything, because we don't want to get killed out here. <laughs> um, anyway, and when they had brought them, they sat them before the council, and the high priest asked, saying, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name, and behold, you have... Fill Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend on to bring this uh, man's blood upon us, which it already was anyway. Um, then Peter and the other apostle answered and said, we ought, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Yeshua, whom you slew and hung on the tree. He hath, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so also the Holy Ghost, whom God have given to them that obey him. Now there was this, I want to bring this guy into the picture, because there was this guy that advocated for them, and he had direct ties with Paul. Okay? This guy says something that makes a lot of sense, and I'm glad they listened to him. Um, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. However, they, you know, I, I don't know how they were going to do that because that, that would have been murder and the Romans would have arrested them and had them killed. Anyway, then stood there one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded uh, to put the apostles for, forth for a little space. In other words, um, Get these guys out of here. I want to talk with these guys. Okay? 
And he said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourself what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rode up Thudius, boasting himself to be somebody, um, to a number of men, about 400 joined themselves, who was slain with all of the people that were with him, and, and a lot of them were scattered and brought not, nothing, nothing came of it. After this rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. Okay. This guy's using history. I love when people use history for a lesson. And now I say to you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel is the work of men, it will come to naught. In other words, the fate of the last two will be the fate of these guys. But if it be God, you cannot overthrow it lest ye lest throw it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles, they had them beaten. <laughs> Said, you know, just can't let them go, right? And they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And they went back to the temple daily and and in every man, in, excuse me, and daily in the temple and every man his house, they cease not to teach and preach Yeshua HaMashiach or Jesus Christ. So, um, if I just find it interesting that, you know, I, I guess if an angel sprung me from prison, I would, uh, I would, I would feel, feel like I could not be conquered <laughs> because it was the will of God to get me out of there. And, um, Anyway, let's move on here. Um, let's see, where was I going with this? Okay, now we're going to talk about walking through walls or just appearing. And in order for for this to happen, um, either Yeshua was in the spiritual realm and it's somehow connected with the physical realm and he just was in the right place at the right time, or he came through the ceiling, or he came through a wall. Okay? Either way, something was manipulated for him to get there. Okay, now this is uh, Yeshua among his disciples, and there's a cross reference for it too. It's Luke 24, 36 through 43, and 1 Corinthians 15, 5. If you want to look those up, be, right, be my guest. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, which is Sunday, right? When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. In other words, they, they made sure that place was battened down and nobody was coming in or out. Okay? It says, Came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side. In other words, the crucifixion marks in his hands and the spear mark in his side. Uh, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Yeshua, I'm going to use Yeshua, okay, Yeshua unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, <clears throat> he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Whoever sin, whosoever, whosoever, wait a minute, 
Whosoever sins ye remit or forgive, they are forgiven unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the, you've heard of doubting Thomas, right? But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them, and Yeshua came. When, when Yeshua came, the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Unless I shall see in his hands, <clears throat> excuse me, the print of his nails, and put my finger in, um, and put my finger into print the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. After about eight days again, his disciples were within, were within, I guess in the house, shut up again, and Thomas was with them. Then came Yeshua, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold thy hands, <clears throat> and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. <clears throat> and this is where you and I come into play here. Uh, Yeshua said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. It's me and you folks. Okay, so we have a house that's shut up that nobody can get in or out, and all of a sudden Yeshua appears. So... You want to tell me that these things can't... Now you're going, okay, but they're demons and fallen angels. Well, it's there's something... Just because something happens in our linear existence doesn't mean it can't happen in another existence, um, a spiritual existence or whatever, okay? Um, we have theophanies of Yeshua in the Old Testament, the um, Tanakh. Uh, where he shows up at the Battle of Jericho and, and Joshua takes off his shoes because he's told to, because he said it's holy ground. And he bows down, and usually angels will say, don't bow down to me, I'm just a servant like you. So Yeshua was there. Yeshua, I believe, was the voice in the burning bush. Yeshua was one of the angels that came and talked to Abraham before they went and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, you know? So if he can come and present himself before he has an actual body, and don't, and don't forget, we're talking about um, he living in a, a dimension where there is no time and space, okay? So he can manifest his physical body, which became an adult at age, what, 20, 18, 19 here, in, here on Earth. Um, in linear time, he can manifest that body into the past and into the future, and thus fulfilling the I am that I am scripture in in, um, in Exodus. I, I am who I am, I am who I will be, I will be what I was, you know, the whole nine yards. So anyway, so we got into that, we got into Fort Monmouth. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is uh, I'm going to show you some pictures let's see all right so what I'm gonna do is I got I gotta switch um, the screen and I got to go to source I'm gonna do it to where I'm a little picture in in number two okay there's me down there okay now let's just make it a full screen okay 
So I'm going to go here, and I'm going to make this large. That way, hopefully, it'll just remain large, and you won't see me. I could think of a lot better things to see than me. Okay. So right here is a, well, it's going to be a black and white picture. Um, this is basically the picture that Joe and this author, uh, Jason Desmer, who I'm betting is probably the author, um, who, you know, was given all the testimonies. Anyway, I'm up here. I have absolutely no idea what that says. Usually these little things are vowels. And I have never seen a Hebrew word where you put, these will usually be like an A or, or make it a long, um, like that would be R-A. And I've never seen two of them together under one letter. So I think that's probably a um, an error in the artwork. This letter here looks like a V, but I, I don't know what it is. This is an R. I think that's like a like a CH. Like a <laughs> that's the letter B or V. If it had a little dot right here, it would be B. But that's V. This looks like um, another V because that's the letter Vav, or it looks like it's supposed to be the letter Vav. And I believe this is um, the, the letter S. That's just the letter S. It's not SH like the Shin um, symbols. Um, so I've tried to find what these letters mean. I have absolutely no idea what those two words are. Um, and I'm sure I'll find out because um, I'm going to keep checking it out. But uh, you can go through and you can um, you can see what they've written. Um, I, I this guy has a few videos out, and I was watching one of them today. And and I got to say that Jason, you seem like a very sincere man of God. You've had a lot of the same experiences that I've had in, in my walk with Yeshua. Um, and um, so I, I, I just, all I'm going to issue forth is a, is a be careful, okay? Just be careful. Um, and then, you know, we go down here and... Um, you know, all kinds of testimonies and the whole nine yards, and I don't really want to, I don't want to, I'm, I'm, this is an editorial here, by the way, of this book, and, and its author, one of its authors, and uh, so therefore I'm under the editorial um, license and not subject to um, copyright infringement, because I'm really not using any of the material other than the show. Um, this bothers me. They're using a nearly infallible version of the NIV. Uh, there are a lot of changes made in the, uh, by the NIV, and that's why it's copywritten. There are things that are omitted that are very important in the, uh, in the NIV from the King James Version. So, um, And there are organizations out there that will not publish or allow this book to be sold because it has NIV written there. So um, that was not a very wise choice um, and there's a color picture of it okay and it's piercing the cosmic veil you shall not be afraid of the terror by night by Joseph uh, Jordan and Jason Dez December and um, 
anyway, so in this book, I'm assuming, uh, I'm going to be ordering this book so I can read through it and go through it with a yellow highlighter. Um, and it's nice that he um, he does it for uh, in memory of Joyce Aarons. Joyce Aarons was one of the um, abductees that we used in our book. And um, this woman's life was made into a living hell because of alien abduction. And, um, yeah, God bless her family, definitely. So um, you see here that he, he's talking about it's a spiritual experience. Um, yes, we do use spiritual warfare when we fight in these things, but um, I'm reminded of a, um, a scripture where it talks about um, using the name of Yeshua or Yahweh um, to fight uh, these entities. Um, the scripture says that not even the archangel Michael, when he was contending for the body of Moses, rebuked him on his own, but said, the Lord rebuke you or Yahweh rebuke you. yod heh vav -Hey, some people call him. Um, so anyway, this kind of gives you an idea. Or Gary Bates is another one that's very, um, this is a spiritual thing, not so much. Uh, uh, he's worked Guy Malone in here. And uh, matter of fact, the author is C.K. One, which has been a Guy Malone name for a long time. Um, so this kind of immaterial. <laughs> Why would anybody care? Um Anyway, and here, um, as far as I know, I, I can't say for sure, but Joe is still a member of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. I was for a little while and then until I realized that they were getting into the esoteric and New Age uh, aspect of UFOs. And while I do think that they do have an esoteric and um, uh, nature to them, I don't believe that a comp uh, an organization that calls itself scientific should be putting ads in its little uh, monthly newsletter um, that are basically ads for New Age conventions and stuff like that. And I went round and round with um, one of their um, their uh, leaders, um, uh, Jim, I can't remember his last name, but um, stating that that's why I was leaving MUFON because of that and um, he argued up and down that uh, they were not getting into the esoteric and um, you know um, I, I would send him clips of his own ads in his paper <laughs> or his, his publication and I'm like well, well then what do you call this so anyway um, I don't want to dwell too much on this so but uh, there it is and he, he looks like you can get it for paperback for man book price of books have gone up um, I don't like Kindle. I don't like reading off a white screen like that. I like to hold a book in my hand. And there's other books that are kind of, this is a really good book right here. Um, anyway, so that's weird. Okay, there's, there's uh, Unholy Communion. This is the book that um, that I wrote. Or that I should say that the Lord had me right. And you can see it says with, with Joseph Jordan. But if you go here somewhere, it says that he's a contributor. Um, 
and again, it's it's a good book, and I'm not trying to tell you that to encourage you to buy it, because you can get it for free on my website. I'm not going to charge for something. Um, this is this number should go up right here. Um, I've been looking into UFOs since I was probably about four or five years old when my dad was so interested in them. I read everything he read. I don't know if I comprehended everything, um, but uh, I wanted to be like my dad, so I wanted to. There you go. I wanted to be like my dad, right? I wanted to emulate my father. Anyway, and so do a lot of other little boys and even those who want to get into disinformation. But um, anyway, it, um, check it out if you want to. It's on delusionresistance.org. You go over to the right side, and it's there's about 11 books that I've written that are over there. And... Um, all different subjects, and uh, even disputing the flat Earth. And I swear I could I could write another 600 pages on that subject. Um, but um, anyway, I just uh, I don't know where to go with this now because they're oops, pretty well done with this part. So anyway, let me. Um, minimize this and then go back to this so with anything in life folks you got to be really careful what you do you know um, who you hang out with um, if the people you're hanging out with are hanging out with other people that are of questionable nature I I usually tend to back off on those people and I'll pray for them um, because simply they, they, they need prayer <laughs> Um, because, you know, there, there are several scriptures. Um, uh, what what um, fellowship does Christ have with uh, Belial? And, um, and there's other scriptures about walking in two kingdoms, and uh, you can't walk in one kingdom, or you can't be dedicated to one person or one thing because you'll, or two things, because you'll love the one and despise the other. You'll cleave to the one and and hate the other so um, you really have to be careful what you do in this life because it's going to have implications on what you do later in life and, and for eternity for that matter but um, so the UFO thing okay I, I've explained what where Joe probably got the um, the idea that this stuff is um, all spiritual, but if you look at scripture, and we read some of the scriptures, um, and you look at different events, um, I'm trying to think, one of the testimonies in our book, or my book, um, was a guy named Bill. I'm not going to say his last name. I think it says it in the book, but I'm not going to say it on the radio or on this podcast. Um he talks about several times, uh, well, twice at least, one where he was sitting, he was working out at NASA, and he was sitting in his uh, cubicle or whatever um, in a garage, because I think he worked as a maintenance man or something like that, if I remember correctly, and he remembers being lifted up and taken through the roof, okay? And the real clincher is, well, you could say that's, that's a dream, but the real clincher is that... Uh, when he finally woke up from all of it, he was, you know, a few miles away on the base uh, and didn't remember getting there. Now, how was that a 
uh, spiritual only manifestation. Um, it, you see it all over the place, you know, and and uh, why would they use such an elaborate um, system to harvest eggs and uh, and um, sperm, ovum and sperm from men and women? I mean, they could just paralyze the one partner and, and while the you know, or both of them actually, while they're laying in bed, collect specimens. You know, they can implant things while people are laying in bed. I mean, we're talking about beings who supposedly, supposedly came billions of miles across space in order to do this. You think they could do it in a more clinical manner, in a more neat clinical manner in in a person's home instead of, um, you know, if it's a spiritual thing. But instead, you know, people have, have said that they've remembered floating through windows, remembered floating through walls. They've seen these things come through walls. You know, um, it's it's not it's not just a spiritual thing. It involves both things. And don't forget that. Well, with with the the the, the uh, account of Yeshua just showing up in the room, one minute he's not there, bam, he's there a second later. You know, he was probably there the whole time, but he was in another dimension, another reality in our universe, but there. And then he shows up, okay? So if he can do that, we know that um, these aliens have technologies. Um, Last week, I think it was, we did the Skinwalker Ranch thing where we talked about how the scientists are there investigating wormholes and stuff like that. And... If they can make a wormhole where a UFO or I showed you that picture that our our daughter took um, with the alien's head after they were coming out, they came out of a wormhole and they were just, you know, sitting there and then moving towards my, the kids. Um, And you can see the head there and you can see another one in there too. So they didn't just appear there. They came from somewhere. They came from a wormhole right there. And I believe that little dot that was right in the center is the wormhole that they came out of um, or portal. I I, I prefer to use the word portal because wormhole denotes that they came across time and space. Portal, they came through a different dimension, from a different dimension. So um, it doesn't surprise me. that, uh, And it doesn't surprise me if they're working with human agents, too, to do this. We hear various stories of people being taken to what looks like cavernous areas underground. Well, if you do some research about uh, dumbs or deep underground military bases, um, it's pretty well an established fact that there are bases underground that were either built by aliens or humans or both and that are being used by both um, in conjunction with one another. Now, when Trump was president, he was sending... uh, special forces in there to clear those areas out and uh but now he's not president anymore (laughs) well if you voted for the other side you have no idea what you did um so anyway um i i don't discount at all that people are taken to those places and that they're experimenting on there's there's other stories where people are taken to those places and they, they see vats of human body parts in there um Back when, uh, back in the early 1960s, I think it was an Outer Limits episode, and um, this alien comes down, and you know he's got the big bulbous head like they used to picture the aliens because they have a bigger brain because they're smarter than us, um, 
and uh, this guy brings a book, and he brings it to the UN, and um, it's got alien writing on it, and he just leaves it with the UN, and you know, he, he gives uh, humanity an ultimatum. You know, you guys can come with us to our planet. Everybody's going to be healed. There's going to be no sickness. Where have you heard that before? The New Age, right? With the coming of the Antichrist. The Antichrist. And um, so, um, anyway, they, they finally decipher the um, the cover of the book. It's called To Serve Man. Okay? So the scientist is is working uh, there's a guy that's working with this lady and they're both trying to decipher the book and he decides that he's going to take the aliens up on their offer and he's going to go with them to their planet and he's going to live a life of blissful peace um well anyway as he's getting going up the ramp and now the aliens are starting to kind of push people up the ramp which is <laughs> you know a good indicator that it's nothing good but um she goes, you can't go. You gotta stay. And he's going, I'm going, I'm going. She goes, no, you gotta stay. You don't understand to cook man. It's a cookbook. And um, so I bring that up because when a lot of people or some people are taken to these uh, deep underground military bases, they see bodies or uh, vats filled with liquid and uh, human body parts. And uh, the um, it's surmised that these gray aliens, especially. Um, get their nutrition from human blood or uh yeah from human blood that's what it is and um so you know i mean if you want to be on a recipe book then you know by all means uh ask for an abduction experience but uh i i I don't want to and i'm not going to um i um it's just it's just amazing the things that that people believe in or how people change you know it's how somebody will believe for years and years that this is a spiritual and a physical event, and then all of a sudden, just cut cut it off. I just don't get it. I don't understand how you can change unless you're an agent of disinformation, and you want people to believe that it's just spiritual. That way, when these things come, you're like, oh, it's just spiritual. I'm not going to worry about it. And then the next thing you know, you're laying on an exam table in some craft somewhere, and they're implanting you with an embryo, or they're, you know, they're t- if you're a guy, they're taking your sperm from you, um, you know, and it's all a dream. Basically, what Jordan is saying, it's all a dream. It's not real. Don't worry about it. And I'm here to tell you that it's not a dream, and it's really happening. And you better be damn well worried about it, because. It's it's something that's happening. It's um, it may be reaching its its um, apex, and it may have reached its apex because if they've acquired enough uh, human genetic material in order to be able to make their own race, which is what I think they're doing, um, they may have enough. Um, years ago, and um, I realize it's getting kind of late. We've got about 12 minutes left or 16 minutes. Um, 14 minutes. I don't know. 10, whatever. I'm looking at the clock. It don't matter. I can go over if I have to. It's just me. Um, so um, years ago, um, after my first wife passed away, I heard a little, you know, you know, when, when somebody you love dies, you, you, you mourn and, you know, oh, Lord, if you could just, if I, I would do anything to get them back, you know, I, um, if I did this wrong, I'm sorry, just, you know. 
and not realizing what you're saying, you know, because there's no way they're coming back. So she hasn't even been dead for a few days. But unless it's a Jesus and Lazarus thing, you know, that could happen, I guess. Um, it happens a lot around the world, just not in America, because we have doctors and we trust in them more than we trust in the Lord. But, um, yeah, you know, I was in that state and I was like, yeah, Lord, I'm so sorry. You know, I just, I miss her so much and everything else. And I, I heard this little still gentle voice in me say, you're going to see her again, but it won't be her. And I'm like, what does that mean? You know, all right, you're not just going to leave me with that riddle, Lord. You're going to explain to me what that means, because <laughs> I need to know. And um, and then right about that time, I, I started to see even more stuff online about um, the the enemy making clones of people. Now, here's let me just present a scenario to you, okay? All right, let's just say that... Um, well, let's just, I'm not going to use myself as an example. I do that too many times. But let's just say that you you just recently lost a loved one. And, um, you know, you, you're opining away for them. You know, you you miss them. You wish you could be with them. You wish the Lord, you know, you might even be saying, Lord, kill me too because I want to be with them, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, you hear you hear a knock on the door. And you go up to the door and you look out if you have a peephole. Uh, or if you have a window, you look out, and that relative standing there, whether it be a wife, a mother, a father, whatever, that just passed away, and you you, you kind of like pull away, and you look in the hole again, and you pull away, look in the hole again, or you look out the window, you know, what's down there, um, and then you realize that they're standing there, and you're like, oh my goodness, the Lord heard my prayer, and then you open up the door, and and they're standing there, and they're just like your loved one was. You know, if it was your mother, she's probably going to go, let me go into the kitchen and fix you something to eat. Or if it was a wife who's like, I've missed you so much, let's hit let's hit the sheets or whatever, you know. And um, So you start believing that this person is really them come back from the dead. If you've seen TV, they've had things on there, the 4400 was one of them. Uh, there's been several different shows that have been that have come out in the last five or six years where dearly the, the dearly departed have come back unexplained, um, which I, makes me think they're getting us ready for this. Okay, and you watch these shows and they'll go into maybe maybe two seasons, maybe three, and then all of a sudden they're gone. The show just disappears; it's not on anymore, and there's no promise that it's coming back because they've implanted that idea in the human psyche that it's a possibility. Okay. Anyway, so your loved one comes back, and and uh, you know maybe a day or two goes by, and then they come up to you and they say, you know, I've got to tell you something. That scripture you've been reading, that Bible, it's not true. You've been believing a lie all this time. You need to start reading books by New Age authors because they have it right. And if you believe, they're going to come take you away, too. And you could be just like me. We'll be together forever. Now, what person is not going to jump at a, at a opportunity like that, especially if you're in a, an altered state already because you're, you're mourning and you're grieving and everything like that, um, or you've missed someone for years and you just wish they were back? Anyway, 
Um, so all of a sudden you start believing the lie. Okay. Now Jim Will Thompson talks about a false rapture. Okay. This is where I could see it fits in. Okay. So these things, and I'm calling them things because they're not your actual loved ones. They're manufactured. And how would they do that? Well, every year, if you're a person that sees a doctor, you at least get a blood test, right? Or, you know, you go in and you get something taken off, they biopsy it. Well, what's to say that they don't keep that? Or, you know, they don't keep a, a, a dry out your blood and keep it, you know, for an indeterminate amount of time. And then um, use it to create a carbon copy of you or use it in the future after you're dead to create a carbon copy of you. Uh, there may be some some spiritual laws or some physical laws, laws of physics that would prevent two people with the same makeup from being in the same place at the same time. I know they talk about that with time travel that, you know, you, you couldn't go back and be in the same time as you, yourself because you would end up one of you or both of you would end up dying. One person even said exploding, you know, um, or just ceasing to be. And um, but anyway, they, maybe they have to wait till you're gone before they can do that. But if it's possible that they can do that, then they can breed a whole army of people that would basically be um, a zygote that grows into a a child and then into uh, an adult, well, uh, pre-adolescent, then adolescent, then teen, um, late teens, early 20s, young adult, but has nothing inside because they don't have you inside of them. If you're gone or if anybody's gone, you're either laying in the grave and it's possible that your soul's in hell or you're in heaven with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Actually, Paul says, rather to be absent in the body and be present with the Lord. That's how the scripture actually goes. A lot of people get that wrong. Anyway, um, so what's to say that, you know, they're not collecting genetic material from every one of us. As if we go to get blood, a bloodmobile comes around, Red Cross takes your blood, they keep a little vial of it, send it off to Washington or whatever because um, they do test everything for everything now so maybe when they test it goes somewhere where you don't want it to go anyway um, and so you know they can make a carbon copy of everybody um, to create basically an army of people that would be that would be um, empty and we all know that uh, demonic spirits love to fill empty vessels or vessels that are hurting, or vessels that invite them in. Okay, well, something that's empty is not even going to have to ask to be invited in. They're just going to be taken over. So we don't know how many Nephilim lived before the flood. It could have been billions of Nephilim that lived before the flood. And they're all soulless um, spirits that are seeking to inhabit human bodies. And boy, what a better harvest than than a bunch of people that are born without souls to begin with, right? It's an idea, just something to think about. But I'll tell you what, if you've lost somebody and they come knocking on your door and say it's them, don't believe it, okay, please? Just like I'm not going to believe it. Um, 
so and that would again that would prove that it's um, that what happened was a, a physical manifestation. Now I am of the opinion that um, when something manifests from the spiritual into the physical, it is subject to the God, the, the physical laws of the universe, the laws that God set up when He created heaven, the heavens and earth. Okay, meaning the cosmos and earth, not the high heaven. And those things are whatever has been created is subject to the creation. Okay, so um, these things that are being manufactured possibly outside of um, our time frame, our linear time, will be able to be killed. Um, so anyway, you know, this is just something to think about, but it's something that lends more to the credence of of these things being physical rather than just spiritual. Um, trying to think. Okay, here's here's an example. Um, Jacob, Yaakov, is walking, and he's walking at night one night. Well, first of all, he falls asleep, and he sees a ladder with angels descending and ascending and descending, which is to me is a portal <laughs> between heaven and earth. Um, but he also runs across this guy that he starts wrestling with. And it's very clear from the scripture that this guy is at least an angel. Some people think he was a theophany of, the, um, of Yeshua HaMashiach. Um, but um, the guy basically says, let me go. And he says, not until you promise me. And I can't remember what the promise was. And, and the guy promised, and then Jacob let him go. But the guy touched his hip, and I think Jacob walked with a limp either for a few days or the rest of his life because of that. Um, you have Abraham who's sitting there under his tree in Mamre, and three strangers, it says three strangers were, or men, approach, and... Right away, he recognizes who they are. Now, they're far off, but he recognizes these aren't normal people, okay? So he has um, Sarah cook up a dinner for them. He begs them to stay and eat with him and break bread with him. And then the, uh, the, the lead angel, I think it was Yeshua, myself, said, you know, I guess he's talking to the other angels, should we reveal to Abraham what we're about to do, you know? And then, so he gets in his bargaining position with Abraham. He says, oh, we're going to go down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's one other city. And um, because of the wickedness that's down there, and Abraham realizes, hey, Lot's down there. That's my nephew. I don't want him dying. So he, stri- he strikes up a bargain with the Lord. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I love the Jewish spirit. Um, only only a Jew would, would argue <laughs> so he says you know Lord he says you know what if there's and I can't remember the number I think it starts out as there's 50 righteous people would you destroy no I will not destroy there's 50 and he gets down to 10 and I think he might even get down to 5 I can't remember the, the numbers and and Yahweh promises because uh, I believe it was Yeshua Yahweh promises no if there's that many people I will not destroy it well then you know all of a sudden two of the angels um, are, we read about them being in uh, in Sodom, and the deviates down there decide that they want these two guys to do with what deviates do with other men, and um, 
And Lot pulls them in, and Lot even bargains his daughters and says, you know, leave these guys alone. I think Lot knew who they were. And he says, you better leave these guys alone, but I'll tell you what, if you really want somebody, I've got these, I think it's one or two daughters that have never known a man, and you can do anything you want to with them. Just leave these guys alone, you know. And I think maybe he knew in his heart that they weren't going to go for this deal, you know. And uh, so, you know, they tried banging down his door and stuff, and the angels made them blind and, and walked Lot and his wife and two daughters out of the city. Now, I think that Lot probably had more relatives in the city or the Hebrew um, tradition seems to suggest that he had uh, more daughters and more sons, but they had grown accustomed to the lifestyle in the city. And that's why when, you know, the city was being destroyed, even though she was told not to look back, um, Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of stone because they were warned not to do that. But, you know, what parent, it would, it would take a lot of resolution being a parent not to look back and wonder, geez, my, I've got eight or ten kids that just got destroyed, you know, because we asked them to come with us and they wouldn't come with us. And and now they're, they're turned into ashes and, you know, and so I, I can't totally blame his Lot's wife for looking back, you know, I I, I would be real tempted. I, I wouldn't, but I would be really, real tempted. But knowing a mother's heart and how much a mother loves their children, I, I can kind of understand why. But um, so we have various examples of um, entities from from the angelic realm, from the spiritual realm, entering into our realm. UFOs are just another example of that. Yeshua said in uh, Matthew that as it was, was in the days of Noah, so it shall be during the days of the Son of Man. And that doesn't mean that they were just eating and drinking and marrying and stuff like that. It means that there's going to be giants, there's going to be Nephilim, uh, there's going to be sin like you've never seen before. It'll make Washington, D.C. look like a uh, uh, a church boy camp, you know. Um and if you read some of the scriptures and realize what they were doing before the flood, um, it was not a good thing. They were into genetic manipulation. Gee, we're into that now. They were into birth control. It says that uh, somewhere, I think it's in, um, it's either in Enoch or Jared. It said that the wives wanted their, the husbands wanted their wives to retain their their womanly figures, so they caused them to drink a some kind of draft that would cause them to uh, not conceive. Birth control. Hey, they had birth control. Uh, probably had abortion, too. You know, um, everything that's evil in this society, you can bet your bottom dollar happened before the flood. Let's just put it that way. Um, so anyway, um, and it's going to get so bad that Yeshua said that unless I return early, um, no flesh would survive. Okay, that's pretty serious. And for the people that believe in the Seven Hills theology, I don't know what Bible you got that out of, but you didn't get out of God's Word because you can't. You're not going to set up anything. As a matter of fact, if you're going to try to do that, you're probably agents of the Antichrist, um, or will be, because um, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. But um, anyway, with that having been said, uh, I think we looked at a lot tonight. We looked at um, 
Joe Jordan in his new book, uh, how he's flip-flopped from believing that these things is, are spiritual and physical to they're just physical. I mean, it's spiritual. And um, and usually it's... And I've looked and I've explored the, the notion that maybe he's a disinformation agent that's sent out to... Um, basically tell people, hey, this is happening to you. Yes, you can make it stop, but it's no big deal. And whereas we know that they're coming here to take our biological um, material and turn it into their biological material or for the biological material to house their sons and daughters that they lost, excuse me, their sons, the spirits of their sons that they lost before the flood. Um. It's just a bad scene, folks, and if he's a disinformation agent, then anything he writes is bupkis, okay? Um, I'm going to be keeping um, his co-author, was it Jason Ditsemper? I'm going to be keeping him in a lot of prayer, because with my experiences, with uh, what I went through, um, and... But, you know, I I got a lot of discernment from the Lord, I got to admit. Um, the Lord gave me a lot of discernment where that whole situation was concerned, and it enabled me to walk away. Um, I just pray that the Lord gives him the same discernment to do the same thing. I pray that the Lord opens up his eyes and that he can see things that are being hidden from him, if, if in fact that's happening, you know. He might be with the program, for all I know. Um, but I, I'm with, I'm all about giving people an even chance until I know more about them anyway. But um, anyway, um, yeah, just keep that guy in your prayers, Jason December. It's like December, but with a Z instead of the C. Um, and pray that if the book is... If it's um, disinformation, if it's lies, if it's um, whatever it is, that uh, that it will not prosper. It's uh, one of the one of the things that kind of summed it up for me is uh, a lot of people wrote, you know, and, and there's always a lot of people that'll write good things about a book even when they haven't read it, and if they've read it, that's that's all the more reason to, to question their motives. But um, one guy wrote on there, um, and it might have been a woman, I'm not sure. Um, the name was Mel, and that could go either way. It could be Melvin or Melanie. But um, uh, from what the other things that they bought online, I'm assuming that it's um, this person is a female. But um, So I'm going to say she. She wrote, um, you know, what about all the sightings and all the witnesses that have seen people floated out of apartments and stuff like that, you know, are they all wrong? And so she gave it, I think one star and, um, and said she put it down and couldn't pick it back up. So there's a person with some discernment. Um, I just pray that people with discernment will read it or think about it before they buy it actually. Um, but I don't mean this to be a disinformation thing against uh, Joe or his uh, his book. I um, I've had him as a disinformation agent against me for a long time, 
and I don't want to be that way with him. But I just pray that everybody just be careful. Be careful what you read and be careful what you believe because it might not be the truth. So that having been said, um, and we haven't determined that uh, the alien abduction phenomena is physical as well as spiritual, that it can be just spiritual sometimes, not all the time, but just sometimes, and that um, uh, reason being or reasonable that there's reasonable a reason to believe. Let's put it that way that um, that human humankind has picked up this technology too and is doing the same thing. So. Um, and that humans can uh, enter and leave our reality and go to the other one. And believe me, uh, read Revelation chapter 10 between the 6th and 7th trumpet, and you're going to see that God's going to change things for a little while. Um, There's going to be a time when everything is spiritual, (laughs) and it's not going to be a pleasant time on earth, and I hope none of us are here to see it. And I even hope that Joe isn't here to see it, because um, it's going to be a terrible time on Earth. And um, anyway, having said all those things, I'm going to go ahead and, and shut this thing off. And I want to thank you for listening or watching, whatever the case may be. And um, until we get, meet again next Monday, um, or maybe sooner, who knows. Um, Because I have to redo a video that for some reason isn't taking on to Rumble, which is weird. But I've got my thoughts about why. So, anyway, um, y'all have a a wonderful week. and, And prosper in the name of Yeshua in the way that he wants you to prosper. And his will, his will be done in your life. Not your will, but his will in Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. Good night.